Hello, this is Joseph P. Farrell with News and Views from the Nefarium on the Thursday, May 5th, 2022. I've got a couple of excellent articles for you today to talk about, and uh, we'll get right to it. But first, our vid chat uh, from last week has been moved to tomorrow at 3 p.m. I have been through an absolutely hellacious week of battling cycles of storms and keeping Shiloh calm and everything. Tomorrow it's supposed to be clearing out, so we're doing that makeup vid chat from last week tomorrow at 3 p.m. U.S. Central Time. Please get your questions and comments submitted no later than 10 p.m. tonight. Um, and please remember to try to keep them relatively focused and short and on topic. Um, since the heart attack, as you know, I don't have quite as much stamina as I used to. So that's tomorrow. Anyway, let's get started. I've got two articles today. One is from the BBC in the United Kingdom, which sort of disproves my thesis that Japan and Russia are or were on track for a massive realignment geopolitically in the Pacific. And this this process began under the former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe in which he was seeking to regularize the diplomatic and trade relations between the two countries by tabling discussion of the status of the Kurio Islands which Russia had had basically annexed at the end of World War II. Technically, Japan and Russia are still at war. So, so Shinzo Abe was the ba basis or background for my views that Japan and Russia had a long-term geopolitical reason to get out of their impasse. Now, I still maintain that Russia's long-term geopolitical interests while they're connected to China, they are ultimately in conflict and that Japan becomes the counterbalancing power to China as far as Russia is concerned. But there is a headline now out of the United Kingdom. The UK and Japan sign military agreement amid Russia concerns. I want to read just a few opening paragraphs and then a middle paragraph from this article. Because what I think the article represents is that for the short to mid-term, say 20 to 30 years out, Japan and Russia are on hold, while my other reading of Japan and the United States is not. All right, so here we go. Boris Johnson has promised to work with other countries to take on an autoc on autocratic coercive powers after signing a defensive partnership with Japan. The Prime Minister met Japanese counterpart Fumio Kishida in Downing Street where the two nations also announced joint exercises and increased working together for disaster relief. The agreement is the first of its kind between Japan and a European country. This comes after both prime ministers condemned Russia's invasion of the Ukraine. The agreement also follows the United Kingdom government's Defense and Foreign Policy Integrated Review published last year, which announced a tilt toward the Indo-Pacific region. The meeting between Mr. Kishida and Mr. Johnson also focused on how to exert pressure on Russia 
and help allies become less dependent on its oil and gas. Mr. Johnson said, quote, We in the UK recognize that our security in Europe is indivisible from the security, our collective security, in the Asia-Pacific, in the Indo-Pacific region. And there is direct, uh, and there is direct uh, read across from the actions of the autocratic coercive powers in Europe to what may happen in East Asia, and that's why we want to work more closely together. And then further on in this article, there is a little hint of something that I think is at the core of this agreement. Mr. Johnson said that the UK and Japan were, quote, focused on driving growth, creating highly skilled jobs, and ensuring we remain technology superpowers. And Mr. Kishida said Japan would utilize nuclear reactors to reduce its dependence on Russian energy. So I think the subtle message to take away here is uh, Japan is eventually going to publicly go nuclear in terms of its uh, defense policy. And that will be with the blessing of at least one Western power, in this case, the United Kingdom. Uh, but what I think all this means is that my reading of Japan and Russia is now at least for the short to midterm future on hold. But I do not think it means that the other half of my analysis is wrong. I think it means precisely that Japan is still quite iffy on having the United States as an ally. It's still going to mouth that position. It's still going to cooperate to the degree it can, but it is no longer going to be reliant on the American nuclear umbrella to the extent that it has been thus far. And I think getting all of these bilateral agreements, we've seen one between Japan and India last year, now Japan and the UK this year, I think it means that Japan is set to go a much more independent way foreign policy-wise. All right, now, the second article I want to talk about is a very, very important article by Tom Longo that appeared on May 4th, 2022. It's a very long article, and I'm going to be reading a lot of paragraphs from this article to give you the gist of what he's talking about. But the, there is a central point in here that uh, stands out loud and clear above all the others. And that uh, I want to draw your attention to when we get to it. So here we go. The article's titled, The Great Currency Reset and Why Europe is Trapped. Now I'm going to skip in the, in the opening paragraphs of this article quite a bit and begin here where he's talking about the sanctions that the European Union has placed on Russia. Quote, these sanctions effectively politicizing every aspect of international business and trade are ultimately nothing more than short-term annoyances for Russia or anyone else. It betrays a mindset that cares nothing for the downstream effects of these actions and, if anything, betrays the desperation felt in Brussels today about its position in the global market. I've spilled hundreds of column inches trying to explain to the world that it is the European Union's totalitarian mindset based on their psychological imbalance and ideological need to be seen as the champions of humanity that drives all of their decisions. 
This sanctions package is prima facie evidence of their insanity and what happens when, like a cornered animal, they are faced with an existential choice. The EU is built on a foundation of insulating its leadership from the vicissitudes of public opinion. Populism is a four-letter word in the Eurocrats' vocabulary. The consequences of this policy, which was conceived by the fart-sniffing buffoons at the World Economic Forum, the Davos crowd, are irrelevant to them in the short term. Yes, Europeans will suffer tremendously high inflation because if successful at taking a majority of Russian oil off the global markets, will only ensure that prices go ballistic. Do you think the same people who have a stated depopulation agenda, who mandated a 12% effective Pfizer vaccine and wasn't tested on pregnant women, lest they be barred from partaking of the European society, care one whit about the people they govern? Of course not. Now I'm skipping here because this is the key crucial component in his uh, analysis here. Ronan Manley at Bullion Star recently wrote a great article, which is, I believe, the foundational one for what's going on in Russia. In Manley, in it, Manley goes over the steps of being, that are being taken by the Russians to move away from a purely debt-based currency regime to a commodity-based one. This idea is promulgated by Sergei Glazyev, who's heading up the creation of a kind of SDR for the Eurasian Economic Union. These moves are staunchly opposed by the Bank of Russia. I was asked by a patron to elaborate on this dichotomy. So here he's quoting himself. It looks to me like Glazyev's plan for the new European Eurasian uh, Economic Union for that currency isn't to make the ruble exchangeable for gold. Let me repeat that one. It isn't to make the ruble exchangeable for gold like the old gold-backed U.S. dollar, but to value it against the price of gold and 19 or so other commodities plus the member country's currencies. The basket, including gold, will be a measure of value, a yardstick by which to compare the value of member currencies. The basket won't be traded. Its global value will just be tracked." Unquote. Now let me continue. The present reality is that the Russian state is strong enough to dictate terms to its oligarchs. In other words, to its central bank, rather than the reverse, as is true here in the West. Meanwhile, Jerome Powell and the members of the Russian Security Council are telling you what's going to happen. A two-tiered ruble is coming in Russia, and the Fed is pushing for fiscal discipline on Capitol Hill. The Bank of Russia is being set up to fail and to be nationalized. Now, in other words, that means the globalist center of power in Russia, which is their central bank, is, be, is being set up by Glazia and company, and by the West to a certain degree, to fail. 
a two-tiered ruble is coming in Russia, and the Fed is pushing for fiscal discipline on Capitol Hill. The Bank of Russia is being set up to fail and to be nationalized. The Eurasian Economic Union will set up a commodity-backed SDR, and Russia's domestic ruble will be convertible to gold, while the international ruble, say the RBO or ruble offshore, will circulate to allow people to pay for imports. For imports. My point in this reply is that backing the ruble for gold for domestic purposes and the Eurasian Economic Union's commodity-backed STR are two separate issues. One is Russian domestic policy, and the other is a fe feature of a new pan-Asian trade and foreign policy. And I, here, folks, I think he's absolutely right. Um, I predicted some time back on Catherine Fitz in her uh, quarterly wrap-up reports, and I'm, I'm, again, trying to stick with this prediction because I think here Mr. Longo is making the same prediction vis-a-vis -vis the, uh, the Russian ruble. And my prediction was, and I base this on something that uh, you may be familiar with in reading my books, and this was the fact that in the early period of the Nazi regime inside of Germany, when the fiscal and financial policy of the country was being set largely by Hjalmar Schacht, who was the president of the Reichsbank up until about 1940, as a matter of fact, that what the Germans did was they set up a two, precisely this two-tiered currency system. They had Rentenmarks, which were the currency, the, the Reichsmark, that was traded in foreign exchange. And then there was an internal mark that was used only inside of Nazi Germany. And the reason they did this was precisely to stop the hemorrhage of gold and other commodities and also to be able to stabilize their payment system. This is exactly what you see Russia doing with this commodities-backed SDR currency for the Eurasian Economic Union and then talking about the convertibility of rubles into gold domestically. This is all a move to stabilize a currency system outside, and please note this, outside of the dollar reserve currency system status. So I suspect that what all of this means, and here's my prediction, my, my high-octane uh, speculation for the day, I suspect that what all of this means is we're going to see some sort of commodities currency war taking place as Glazyev implements this system and that that war will intensify to the degree that he is able to show success in that system. In other words, he's putting the West, and particularly, as Longo tries to point out in this very lengthy article, he's putting the West, and particularly the EU, in a very bad position. Because if there's one thing the EU is not, it's commodities rich, okay? So in other words, this is yet, I think, another very clever Russian strategy to decouple the EU in the long run from the rest of the West and isolate the United States. Now, obviously, North and South America have a lot of commodities. They're not in any position to be hurt by this, but... The, as I say, the real target here is the European Union, and it means that 
the currency reset that Russia is working on, I think probably will go through and be successful to a certain degree. But it's going to touch off a, a massive financial currency system realignment in the world because what they're also putting into place is this two-track system. And I suspect you're going to see other countries moving, and I've predicted that with Catherine Fitz. Uh, I think you're going to see other countries moving to a similar two-track system in order to stabilize the situation and at the same time cripple the reserve status of the dollar. So this is going to be a very, very interesting development to watch um, to see if Mr. Longo is right. I think he is. Uh, I've been saying similar things for quite some time. And it's going to, it's going to play out, I think, for those of us young enough, I think it's going to play out in the next five to ten years. So that's it for today's news and views from the Nefarium, folks. This is one to watch. Uh, please don't forget we've got that makeup vid chat tomorrow afternoon at 3 o'clock U.S. Central Time. Get your comments and questions in no later than 10 p.m. tonight. Please remember to keep them short. Um, you know, we I've already got several questions from last week. So we don't want this to be a terribly long session. Uh, my voice and so on just uh, don't have the stamina that they used to. So if necessary, I'll, I'll have to archive some of those questions if it goes too long for the next vid chat. And by the way, I've already put up the vid chat schedule um, for this month and next month on the website. So please go look at that and get all of your questions and comments in a row and we'll have a good summer. All right, that's it for today's news and views, folks. Thank you for tuning in. I'll see you all on the flip side. Bye-bye, and God bless.